0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West.
1: It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that his spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. While well, we're continuing in our series, Easter According to Luke. And we're going to be walking through a four-part study leading to resurrection uh, next Sunday. So with that, I want to encourage you to please take your Bibles right away and go with me to the Gospel of Luke. And if you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand and one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. Please take it home and read it and have your life changed by the Word of God. Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 40. Palm Sunday from the vantage point of Luke. Luke chapter 19, 28 to 40. While you're turning there, the year was AD 33. The excitement in the cool spring air of Jerusalem was palpable. Thousands of Jewish pilgrims had gathered from around the world for the upcoming Passover feast. And word had spread that Jesus, a 30-something itinerant rabbi, prophet, and healer from Galilee, had raised Lazarus from the dead. Many had gone to Bethany to see Jesus and Lazarus with the result that they believed in Jesus and returned to the capital city with reports Of his miracle working power to raise the dead the passover crowds in jerusalem were like a powder keg ready for a spark filled to the brim with both messianic fervor and hatred of roman rule winds of revolution whipped through the air of palestine throughout the first century And Jesus, with his teaching authority and ability to capture the imagination of the masses, not least on account of his ability to heal and raise the dead, he looked very much the part of the long-awaited Messiah. In order to gain and maintain power, the Romans could kill, which they did quite effectively. But how could they defeat a leader who could raise the dead at will? After observing the Sabbath, Friday evening through Saturday evening at Bethany, Jesus arose Sunday morning to enter the city of Jerusalem. It was March 29th, AD 33, the first day
0: of the last week of his earthly life.
1: Now that's a paragraph from Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor's book, The Final Days of Jesus. And that's the context of our text of scripture today. And that's the important framing we need as we launch into Holy Week with today being Palm Sunday. So look with me, at Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher
0: rebuke your disciples and he answered i tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry
1: out jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with a singular focus. His focus, emphasized all throughout the Gospel of Luke, is to get to Jerusalem to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as the fulfillment and the answer to hundreds of years of messianic expectations. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, intentionally entering into a direct confrontation with the powers and the kingdoms of this world. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the public revelation and the present realities of Christ's kingship and the reality of his coming kingdom. Now, this is important because in order for us to begin grasping the power of what's happening here on Palm Sunday and Holy Week, we need to see how Palm Sunday and Holy Week fit into one of the most significant themes in all of Scripture, the theme of the kingdom of God. And so I want to take you, before we jump into our text, through this theme on a high level of the kingdom of God, because it's going to help us understand what is happening as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Now, Von Roberts is helpful in his book, God's Big Picture. He divides the theme of the kingdom of God into several sections based on Scripture itself. And I want to show you just six themes bringing us to Palm Sunday, and then we'll expound the Palm Sunday text. Understanding the theme of the kingdom of God on the screen for you. First, the Bible shows us uh, the pattern of the kingdom, the pattern of the kingdom. This takes us back to the very beginning of the book of Genesis. God's pattern from the very beginning is this. God's created people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, living under God's rule and blessing. That's the pattern. Secondly, the Bible shows us what Von Roberts calls the perished kingdom. And very quickly in Genesis 3, we see God's pattern disrupted by sin as Adam and Eve fall in the garden. God's people are corrupted by sin. God's people are cast out of God's place, the garden, and God's people have rebelled against God's kingly rule.
0: Thirdly, we have the
1: promised kingdom. This is God's eternal plan to fix his broken world and to restore his people to his place under his kingly rule. And through a covenant with a man named Abraham, God promises to bless his people again. Fourthly, we see unfolding what Roberts calls the partial kingdom. The covenant promises of Genesis 12 begin to take shape throughout the book of Exodus. And as God rescues his people from slavery and gives the people his law to govern them under his rule, the problem is that by the time we get to 1 Samuel, the people have rejected God as their king and they demand an earthly king just like the pagan nations do. That takes us fifthly to what Roberts calls the Prophesied kingdom. Israel's history begins to take a devastating downturn as God's people refuse to live under God's law. And a disastrous line of disobedient kings leads them to the division and the destruction of God's kingdom. Exile and hopelessness ensue for the people of Israel until the hope of a perfect.
0: And coming king is prophetically announced all throughout the prophets. Finally, we have what Roberts calls the present kingdom.
1: And the kingdom is present in the birth, in the arrival, and the advent of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, all of God's promises find their fulfillment because in the arrival of Jesus Christ, we have the arrival of the king to inaugurate his kingdom, to inaugurate the kingdom of God, to begin gathering for himself a people, to live in a place under his rule and reign again through a substitutionary death that will restore God's people to a relationship with him again. The theme of the kingdom of God. A prevalent and dominant theme all throughout the scriptures. And it's woven all throughout the Bible. And from the beginning, the purpose of God has been to establish his kingdom, his people in his place, under his rule and blessing. And the entire Bible is the story of how God, through Jesus Christ, restores that which was broken in the fall to bring people from every tribe and nation out of slavery and exile and restored into his perfect
0: kingdom. Enter now, Holy Week.
1: On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Intentionally equating himself as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning the hope of the coming king to restore his people to his perfect kingdom. And that takes us to point number one of our message as we unpack the text we read today. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus, the prophesied King. I want you to look at your Bible, verses 28. To 35, follow along with me. The Bible says, And when he had said these things, he went ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. All right, very important for us to understand what's happening here. This little interaction taking place between Jesus and some of his followers in verses 28 to 35 shows us at least two things. First, I want you to see it shows us Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. On the screen for you, Zechariah 9.9 prophesies this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, notice, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Look at the prophetic precision. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. And what does this show us? Well, this whole ordeal of sending two disciples into the village to find a colt, to untie the colt, to say when asked that the Lord has need of it was a display of sovereignty. It's a display of authority. It's a display of omniscience, but it's a display of prophecy fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the prophesied king. Prophesied hundreds of years before his arrival. Palm Sunday shows us Jesus as the prophesied king. But secondly, this interaction of verses 28 to 35 shows us Jesus intentionally tying himself to the messianic hopes of the Old Testament. Riding into Jerusalem on a colt was Christ's announcement that he indeed was a king. Jesus wasn't shying away from this reality. Jesus was intentionally connecting himself with Old Testament prophecy as the coming king. Now, G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. He said, it's important that we should understand this. Speaking of Zechariah's prophecies, as Zechariah was not saying when the king came, he would prove his lowliness by riding on a colt. Listen, he was rather saying that when the king came, he would come in regal majesty, mounted as kings are mounted upon a donkey. It was for a sign and symbol of his kingship that he chose to ride into the city. The action of Jesus was, on his part, a definite provocation of demonstration. He, Jesus, decided to enter the city On his arrival for the last time, in a way that must draw attention to himself. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus, the prophesied king, with exact Precision, the prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ of the arrival and coming of the king to Israel. And Jesus rides in on a donkey in the same way that kings would ride in. And Palm Sunday shows us this royal, regal procession. Jesus is not shy about this. And he's drawing attention to himself as the king. It's remarkable to me when I think about the precision of Old Testament prophecy. The best way to respond to the countless Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus Christ is not only by affirming the historical reliability of the Bible. When I read prophecies like this, I say, man, the Bible is a brilliant book. It's a supernatural book. No one can refute the reliability historically of this book. But not only to affirm the Bible's accuracy over hundreds of years, but the best way to respond to prophecies like Zechariah 9 coming to fulfillment in Luke chapter 19 is by us embracing the truth that all the events of human history are being carried along providentially by a sovereign and purposeful and powerful God. And so when you hear about Jesus, the prophesied king, don't think of yourself, oh, oh, that, thank God, man, the Bible's reliable. I'm not just kind of playing games here. Don't just think, wow, that's so neat. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the precision of the prophecy. Don't, don't just think that. Think in terms of your life in 2023, on the beginning of Holy Week, that whatever is happening to you today... There is a God who is sovereign and in control and moving the events of history in one definite direction and you can have peace about that. And you can rejoice in the fact that the
0: king has made himself known to you and to me.
1: And so we see this yet again on Palm Sunday. The eternal pattern of the kingdom of God and the restoration of the perished kingdom of God and the culmination of the partial kingdom of God and the fulfillment of the promised kingdom of God is all seen in the present reality of the kingdom of God through the prophesied King, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is brilliant. The Bible is supernatural.
0: The Bible has the power to transform your life. If you could, on this Palm Sunday, open your heart to the beauty of it. Now, if you're here today and you're exploring,
1: I know there's people here that are exploring. You haven't come and put your faith in Jesus. But if you're here today and you're exploring the person of Jesus, Palm Sunday gives us the irrefutable record of Jesus, the prophesied king, precisely predicted hundreds of years prior to his arrival in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells you, explorer, to pay close attention to Jesus. Pay close
0: attention because he's real and he's calling to you. And if you're here and and
1: your relationship with Jesus has grown cold, And Palm Sunday is just like the thousandth Palm Sunday that you've celebrated. And this is like the millionth Holy Week that you've celebrated in your life. And it's all growing too familiar. Palm Sunday reminds us of the glory of the Word of God and the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. And the Bible calls you who are falling asleep spiritually, you who have grown dull and familiar, the Bible calls you to wake up. Wake up to the beauty and power of the Holy Week. And if you're here and you love Jesus Christ and you're passionately following Jesus Christ, then Palm Sunday gives more fuel for your worship. And that takes us to our next point. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus, the prophesied king, But secondly, on Palm Sunday, we see Jesus. You can jot this down. The worshiped king. Jesus, the worshiped king. I want you to notice verse 36 in your Bible. It says, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, Luke doesn't make mention of the multitude of disciples spreading palm branches. Maybe you're sitting here saying, I didn't I didn't hear about the palm branches. Well, Luke doesn't mention that in his account, as the other gospel writers do. Instead, Luke chooses to emphasize that they spread their cloaks before him on the road, which was an act of special honor and respect. This is a procession for a king, and they're worshiping him. Notice verse 37. The Bible says, as he was drawing near, notice, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now there's an irony here in the text, and I wonder if you can notice it. The text tells us particularly that Jesus was already on the way down the Mount of Olives. That means that Jerusalem was now in plain view for Jesus. And as Jesus rides down the Mount of Olives in royal procession to the worship of the people, he simultaneously sees the city. He sees it in plain view. He's hearing the worship. He's hearing the adoration. But he is seeing the place that he will die a criminal's death. You see the irony in the passage. A royal procession on Sunday
0: a criminal's execution on
1: Friday. Notice also in verse 37 that a great multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. Now that's a direct parallel to Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. And they began to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, little sidebar here as I'm, studying this text and preparing this message, this is what's coming to my mind. When you've truly seen, when you've truly experienced, when you've truly apprehended with your heart the mighty works of God in your life, the only appropriate response is rejoicing and praising with a loud voice. I remember in 2019, you'll remember that the Toronto Raptors won the world championship. You remember that? I had the opportunity to go to a few games at the Scotiabank Center downtown, which I've been very thankful for because I love basketball. And if you've ever gone to a game, you'll know that what you see is when your team, when you see your team do something good, there's a loud cheer. There's a lot of clapping. But when you see your team do something amazing, what you observe is the crowd becomes actually undignified. Jumping and screaming and flailing and crying and throwing drinks in the air and grabbing each other and complete strangers hugging each other. That's that's what happens. It's remarkable, if you go into a sports arena, it's remarkable what captivates the hearts of people. It's remarkable the lengths that people go to celebrate and rejoice and lift up their voices. Now, I'm not making a case for jumping and screaming and flailing in church, but I am wondering how we, even as Christians, can be so loud
0: about sports and other
1: things, and yet be so quiet about the mighty works of God. Let me just give you permission today, pastor to congregation, you can worship loudly in church. You're allowed. Wonderful. Sometimes we walk in, and we're shy, and we're nervous, and we don't know, and my voice is not that great, and I don't want the person next to me to hear, and I don't want to draw attention to myself. And listen, if your heart is in the right place, then lift up your voice, and he is worthy of it. The multitude of the disciples worship Jesus. I want you to look at verse 38. It says, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Notice this, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see what they're doing? They're singing and they're quoting the song of Psalm 118, 26. And all their messianic hopes and dreams were coming true before their eyes. Hundreds of years of prophecy now being fulfilled in this Messiah. He heals the blind. He raises the dead. He speaks with unparalleled, unmatched authority. So you got to live in the text and you got to understand what's happening here. There's a real sense that the days of being oppressed by the Romans is coming to an end. And that there's a real sense that the kingdom of God will finally be restored to Israel. That's why they're shouting and screaming with a loud voice. That's why they're worshiping to Psalm 118. They're proclaiming the king is here. Now, you see, clearly Jesus didn't come the first time to set up an earthly kingdom. I mention that because the only problem with the crowd's worship is this, that no one really understood the nature and timeline of the kingdom. They didn't quite understand it. Jesus didn't come the first time to set up an earthly, physical kingdom in Jerusalem with political and economic ramifications. He didn't come to do that. Jesus came to die a substitutionary death on a cross for the sins of all who would believe so that all who would turn to him could be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into his kingdom as believers living under the rule and reign of his kingdom. That's Colossians 1.13. And this is how, loved ones, the kingdom of God advances on the earth today. Are you aware that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to a great kingdom? And this kingdom is advancing all over the world. How? How? How through the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom so that the rule and reign of Jesus Christ is established in the hearts of more and more people so that more and more people move from worshiping idols to worshiping God. And as hearts are transformed and changed, lives are transformed and changed, as they move from darkness to light, as they move away from the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God, and then you begin to see the world around you change because there's more and more citizens of the kingdom representing the kingdom everywhere and all over the world. It's what von Roberts calls the proclaimed kingdom. That the kingdom of God, biblically speaking, is both a present and future reality. That the time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming is a time of gospel proclamation and kingdom advance so that this gospel spreads all over the world with all of its spiritual and physical implications as we live as salt and light in the world, as citizens of his kingdom, until Jesus Christ returns the second time to perfect and consummate his kingdom. There is a perfect kingdom coming to the earth. Did you know that? A physical, perfect kingdom with Jesus as king, with believers in Jesus Christ from every tribe and tongue and people and language surrounding him, worshiping him, living in the reality of a perfect kingdom. That day is coming. Until then, we live in the
0: season of the proclaimed kingdom. With the gospel at the forefront leading the charge. So
1: the people were right to worship Jesus as king. They were correct to worship Jesus as king, but their expectations of the nature and timing of his kingdom were not fully developed. Here's a question as we enter into Holy Week
0: Are you? In the kingdom of God are you part
1: of the kingdom have you responded with faith and repentance to the call of the king have you responded with faith and repentance to the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you are now a true worshiper of Christ, having known peace with Jesus Christ and are now an ambassador of his great kingdom? I'm talking to everyone here who can hear my voice. Are you part of the kingdom?
0: And if you're here and you're answering, yes, I am, praise the Lord. Here's the second question. As a worshiper of the king, are you an ambassador of the kingdom? Calling people in the season of
1: proclamation to respond to the gospel of the kingdom. That's what we seek to do as a church. I want to stop right here and tell you of the immense fruitfulness happening through our Reach, the City Ministry, and even yesterday, the amazing things that we got to experience and witness in the gospel going out from this church into the lives of people who are far from God and people moving from death to life. Come to the prayer meeting tonight. You're going to hear more. We're going to hear some more people share about the beautiful things God
0: has done and is doing. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus, the prophesied king. We see Jesus, the worshipped king. There's one more thing I'll show you and then we'll end. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus, you can write this down, the rejected king. Notice verses 39 to 40.
1: The Bible says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples.
0: He answered, I tell you, if these were silent,
1: the very stones would cry out. Not everyone in the crowd was as enthusiastic about the arrival of the king. And here we have a brief yet telling conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. A conversation that's unique to the Gospel of Luke. And this is the final reference to the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees here are jealous. Pharisees here are angry because the Pharisees understood what exactly is happening in this great procession into Jerusalem and what this actually meant. So they demand that Jesus puts an end to the admiration and to the praise. Of course, Jesus does not stop the multitudes of disciples because he's a king, because he's worthy of the praise he's getting. Notice
0: his reply in verse 40. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones
1: would cry out. Now, it could be translated, if the disciples would stop praising Jesus, then the stones would take their place. That's the idea. The idea here is that there's there's going to be no silencing, no ceasing and stopping the welcome of the king into Jerusalem that day. This needed to happen, and it is right. And you know, loved ones, all over the world today, There are people who have rejected Jesus, just like the Pharisees. People who are trying to silence the worship of Jesus Christ, even in our society. And yet, I want you to understand, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, continues to advance. Especially, amazingly, in regions with the highest persecution rates. There are people, there are governments, there are societies that are working double, triple, quadruple overtime to silence the message that Jesus is king. But the Bible and history and our present-day reality shows us that nothing can stop the worship and the spread of the kingdom of God. I read the following in an article yesterday actually entitled Meet the world's fastest-growing evangelical movement. I read this. It said about 20 years ago, in Iran, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was between 5,000 and 10,000 people. Today, it's between 800,000 to 1 million people. That's massive growth. According to Operation World, Iran has the fastest-growing evangelical movement in the world. Their article writer says, none of this is good news for a regime that depends on a belief in Islam to stay in power. Crackdowns have been increasingly harsh, especially over the past five years. But evangelism has not slowed. Despite the pandemic, ministries have reported growth in engagement and interest in the gospel via social media outreach or personal evangelism among Christians inside of Iran. Let me just tell you the thing that God is impressing on my heart in these days. The gospel cannot be stopped. Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. People all over the world reject him and hate him and despise his followers and kill his followers and oppress his followers. But here is the biblical reality. Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. And so I'm sobered as I read about these things, as the Spirit of God works in my heart to awaken my faith. Here's the reality.
0: Biblically and historically, the gospel always breaks through
1: in the midst of intense persecution. You see that in the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, go. You'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Go. Go from here to Samaria, to Judea, to Jerusalem. It's not until Acts 8.1 that they actually begin to scatter. And what prompts the scattering? Persecution. They built a nice mega church in Jerusalem. They were getting cozy. Thousands of people gathering together, doing life together. It's a beautiful thing. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship. They're seeing God do amazing things, but they're getting a little cozy in Jerusalem. Until the murder of Stephen prompts a great persecution at the hands of all people of Saul. Acts 8.1, they scattered. Great persecution caused them to actually walk in obedience to God's command. Don't stay in Jerusalem. Go to Judea, Samaria, the far-reaching parts of the world.
0: Conversely, loved ones,
1: it seems as though gospel influence is declining. Kingdom impact is declining in nations that
0: are most prosperous. Now, here's what
1: I want you to know this room may be filled with people who worship Jesus and who do not reject Jesus. That's wonderful. But perhaps there are people in this room and in churches all over Canada who have fallen asleep in the midst of.
0: Of our prosperity.
1: And the people that reject Jesus, like the Pharisees, are influencing those who worship Jesus to stop. And whether that plays out in your workplace or in your school or in your family, some of you, if you're honest, the people that hate Jesus are calling the shots in how you should respond to him. What about an awakening today? What about an awakening of faith in our hearts? There are people who hate Jesus Christ out there, but we worship Jesus. We are part of a kingdom that is moving forward and that cannot be stopped. We, we will not sleep. We will be awake. And when the Pharisees, when the God-haters, when the Antichrists come to us and say, stop, be silenced, we say, we cannot stop. If we stop, stones will cry out, this is a king. And we don't want any stones taking our place, amen?
0: And we will worship him so loved ones jesus
1: is king and his kingdom is advancing all over the world regardless of intense opposition because the king cannot be stopped and loved ones this easter season
0: all of us here are confronted with this urgent reality
1: it's absolutely irrefutable that the god man jesus christ is king he's the prophetic fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's a sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world, and he's the resurrected king reigning in glory today. You are either worshiping him or you have rejected him.
0: There's no middle ground. So I'm going to preach today as if it's my last time because I don't know if I have tomorrow, neither do you. Are you a worshiper, like the crowds? Or have you rejected him, like the Pharisees? If you're a worshiper,
1: have your confidence restored in the power of the kingdom of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and the impact he wants to have in your life and through your life to people who hate Jesus all around you. But if you're here today and you're listening to my voice and you have chosen to reject Jesus, now is the time to turn from your
0: sin and put your hope in him.
1: Because we're not going to be here forever. And only those who have responded with faith and repentance And love and worship will be with him in his glorious kingdom. The rest will be separated to an eternity of condemnation.
0: Where do you stand? Bow your heads with me right now and ask the team to come. I want you to consider the questions that
1: I've asked you most significant questions you could ever answer. Am I with Jesus or am I against him? And I wonder if some, even one in this room, will walk into Holy Week for the first time as a follower
0: of King Jesus.
1: Maybe you're sitting here, you're saying, I want to be a follower of the king. I don't know exactly what to do. Well, let me lead you with all our heads bowed. And if you're a Christian, you can pray for those maybe that you don't even know are rejecting Jesus, that the Lord would move upon their hearts with his sovereign hand. You're here maybe, and you're saying, I'm not sure what to do. Let me tell you what to do. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're here today and you recognize I am a sinner, I sin, I make mistakes, I rebel against God in ways I don't even know sometimes. And no matter how hard I work, I can't stop sinning. No matter how hard I try, I can't be perfect. Loved ones, that shows you you need to be saved. That's why Jesus came. We're saved because of his sufficient merit, his work, not ours. And if you're here today and you're trying hard to work to get to Jesus, you cannot get to Jesus on your own. You need to be saved. That's where repentance comes in. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. This is what the cross is all about. His blood shed for you and me to wash away every sin stain. Maybe God is calling you now to repent. That word is a fancy word. It simply means turn away. You're walking in one direction. You turn around. You walk in the other direction. That's the picture. Repent. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Don't worry about that. It just means you're turning away right now from your sin. You're saying, I want to follow Jesus. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And then, so simple. Believe and Trust. Turn from your sin receive forgiveness and trust Lord I believe that you came for me to die for me to pay the price for my sin perfect sacrifice in my place I'm choosing to trust you today and to worship you great king of kings would you come fill my life Give me the tools and the strength I need to follow you. Oh, Lord, I pray you would let it be so in the hearts of people in this room that need to be transferred from the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God. And we thank you that the work has been done. Let us rest in your finished work, O great King of kings, and lead us into this holy week. And dare I say, change us this holy week. And use us this holy week. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.